Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For Kia, the seven-seat Kia Sorento large SUV. Hello, everyone. Great to have your company on this Wednesday. And the final Sports Day program for this year, 2022. No program tomorrow because we've got day-night test match. It's the pink ball test match between Australia and the West Indies under lights there at the Adelaide Oval. So we'll have full coverage of that uh, on the SEN network. So this is my swan song for 2022. I will be back in the first week of January. So I look forward to your company then and look forward to having your support. And thanks for your support during 2022, right through the year. It started off as Drive with Peter Vlahos and, of course, recently changed its name to Sports Day. And uh, it's been fun bringing you uh, certainly my slant on sport and some of the the big names in sport as well. Uh, On the program today, uh, in a little while, we'll speak to the Football Federation CEO, his name is James Johnson. He's just returned from Doha in Qatar after the World Cup. And uh, we're going to have a chat to him about where Australian soccer or football, as it's known globally, is going to go. We're going to talk about the soccer ruse. We're going to talk about Graham Arnold. We're going to talk, I might even throw in what he thinks of the AFL because there's been a lot of criticism regarding the AFL's judgment on dropping that first round of fixtures just when the final whistle blew on Australia's match against Argentina. So uh, we'll have a good chat with James Johnson, the CEO of Football Australia. He's not far away. And, of course, later on, towards the tail end of the show, we'll speak to Giulio Santarelli, very well-respected man when it comes to thoroughbred racing, commentator, journalist, broadcaster, And uh, we've come to the end this Saturday at Ascot of the Pinnacle Series. It's just gone bang, 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 bang. Five weeks, and you would have only thought it started uh, literally last week. It's gone so quick, but it's been very successful. And this Saturday sees the running of the brand-new race. It's called the Gold Rush. That's the one where people around the community uh, were asked to vote on what they think they should name, that is Perth Racing and racing and wagering, the brand-new Group 1 race here in Perth, Western Australia, and they came up with the Gold Rush. So we'll speak to Julio a bit later on as well. But first, just some sports news headlines for tyre power. Buy three and get one free on selected Falcon all-terrain tyres at your local tyre power store. As you've heard on SEN during the course of the day, Pat Cummings is out of the Adelaide Test, and Steve Smith will captain against the West Indies. Uh, Australia's management made the call to not risk Cummins for the test. And and Scott Boland will also take his place in the side. Smith also captained, uh, of course, when Cummings withdrew uh, in the second straight season, the paceman missed the Adelaide test. He did miss that 
of a previous Adelaide test, if you recall. He was ruled out as a COVID-19 close contact last year, and Smith also captain on that occasion. On a rush morning, which marked uh, his return to the top job in Australian cricket for the first time since the 2018 ball tampering scandal. Do you agree with the decision to give it to Steve Smith? I'd love to get your thoughts on the temper at Bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. Um, a lot of people don't agree with it. Others feel a bit more comfortable with it. I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. And further bombshell coming out just late this afternoon. And again, Hayes and Mardo covered it. But Dave Warner's angry. And he's given up on attempts to overturn his leadership ban amid what appears to be a chaotic and dysfunctional process introduced by Cricket Australia. Now, the Australian cricket traditionally hears conduct matters privately. But Cricket Australia, as you are aware, changed its code in November, that's last month, creating a three-person independent panel of commissioners to hear an application from Warner that would test whether his behaviour had improved and his remorse was genuine. We know that Warner was given the lifetime leadership ban for his role in the Sandpaper Gate affair. Now, the issue appears to surround the panel's decision last Tuesday to conduct their hearings in public, which Warner says Cricket Australia also opposed. And he said, and I quote, in his statement that was released on his Instagram account, despite my opposition and that of Cricket Australia on Tuesday last week, council assisting the review panel and the review panel took it upon themselves to concoct an irregular procedure and in brackets overturning presumptions and previous practice for the determination of my application and establish a novel approach that would negatively have impacted the health and welfare of my family and the interests of the Australian cricket team. So Dave Warner... As uh, put that to bed, he will never be in a leadership uh, position between now and when he decides to retire from representing Australia in any form of the game. So that's come out late, and we've heard the news regarding Pat Cummings and Steve Smith taking over as captain in the Adelaide Test. Your thoughts on the temper of bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. Uh, we are here for Kia, the seven-seat Kia Serato large SUV. They are the sponsors of Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. We'll take a break and come back, and I'll have a bit of a lengthy chat with James Johnson, the Chief Executive of Football Federation Australia, post-Australia's performance in the World Cup, and where to... From here, that's coming up next. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Have your company. World Cup action continues. Sensational results last night. Morocco became the first Arab nation to reach the last eight of the World Cup finals. The North African country defeated Spain on penalties after a goalless draw after extra time in Doha. So this will be the moment for Morocco, and it's on Ashraf Hakimi, Morocco's star player. The man who was born in Spain, about to send the nation of his birth home. Ashraf Hakimi. 
created by Real Madrid, and he blasts it down the middle, and Ashraf Hakimi has set Morocco to where they have never been before. Morocco are into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. An African team are in the final eight of the Qatar World Cup 2022. So it was the third successive major tournament in which Spain have been beaten on penalties. Following the 2018 World Cup, the Euros in 2021, uh, they failed to score in three attempts, which is quite amazing for a country as significant as Spain when it comes to the World Cup. A real shock. And, of course, the other match played last night, it was uh, Portugal uh, winning by six goals to one over Switzerland. And Cristiano Ronaldo was spotted leaving the field while his Portugal teammates continued to celebrate their big win over Switzerland. Conclusions are being drawn that the five-time Ballon d'Or is on the outer from his dominant teammates who hardly needed him to put on a clinical 6-1 drubbing of the Swiss in their round of 16 clash. In fact, the Portugal coach, Fernando Santos, made the brave decision to drop the 37-year-old from the starting 11. He decided to put in 21-year-old striker Goncalo Ramos. Uh, he took his place and Ramos, it proved a masterstroke from Santos, the youngster set the World Cup alight with a stunning hat-trick, including a freakish left-foot strike that seared in the top left-hand corner from an impossible angle. In fact, uh, it was such a sensational goal. In fact, Portugal scored some sensational goals in that 6-1 win. All right, now for Australian made. It's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo. Be sure it's Aussie. We're going to speak to a man who is in charge of a significant Australian sporting organisation, the Football Federation Australia. We're going to recap everything that's happened with the World Cup and, more importantly, look forward to where football, the global game, will now go on the back end of the Socceroos' great performance. James Johnson, the CEO of Football Federation Australia, joins me here on Sports Day. You're very welcome, Peter. It's great to be on your show. Well, you're back in Australia, you're back in your office in Sydney, and you've spent what would have been a wild ride in Qatar. Tell us about the experience you, as the CEO of the Football Federation of Australia, had. It was an amazing campaign uh, on the pitch to get to round of 16. was phenomenal. Um, but what made me the most proud was seeing what happened off the pitch and the level of support uh, from the community. Uh, we saw that while we were in Doha. We saw people around the country come out uh, and watch the Subway Socceroos perform on the world stage. And that was really important for me as a CEO. And I know it was very important for Graham and, and the team as well. It really helped. A lot of speculation going into the tournament on how they would perform. Now, from a personal point of view, as the head honcho of the FFA, seriously, what were you hoping and wishing and were you ready for any scenario? Because we didn't know how it was going to go. Yeah, you've always got a plan for different scenarios. My expectation was we did get to round of 16. Now, some might say that was overambitious, but um, ultimately, if we want to be a, a nation that is credible and taken seriously in world football, um, the, 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 the benchmarks change now. It's not only qualifying for World Cups, it's going deeper in the tournament. And I think the, the pleasing aspect for me was the rest of the world actually saw the team do well and said, you know what? Those guys down under, uh, they've really got their stuff together. Um, and if you take that together with the hosting of the Women's World Cup in just eight months' time, 
um, I think we've really got a seat at the global table. That's a great thing for Australian football. James, I spoke to Peter Philopoulos, who is involved with the corporate and marketing aspect there of the FFA. We know Peter from his days here when he was chief executive of the Perth Glory. And we're talking about brands and how significant the Socceroos brand was going into that World Cup, where it was probably sitting second behind the Australian cricket team. How big is the brand now after what we saw in two and a bit weeks in Qatar? The brand is very strong. I mean, we had 1.7 million people that tuned in uh, and watched uh, our last match against Argentina um, early uh, in, in, on, on Sunday morning. Um, we know that uh, we had thousands and thousands of people that came together in, in public viewing uh, to watch the Socceroos play. We measure our brands independently now. It's done on a quarterly basis. And Pete, uh, who, who you mentioned, uh, is, is, is the person in our office that leads that. But what we do know is that the Socceroos uh, brand will be at an all-time high. Um, and we need to keep that brand relevance in the market. So what we're looking to do in the year 2023 is bring the Socceroos back uh, in at least three out of the four international windows because we don't have qualifiers, so we, 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 um, we own those windows. So we want to bring the team back to Australia. We want to bring world-class opposition for them to play uh, against in front of uh, home crowds. And we do want to bring um, the team out to Perth, and that's a goal for us. Uh, in 2023 and we think by doing that um, we'll maintain the level that the brand is at the moment which is at an all-time high. That's uh, interesting news three of the four international windows in 2023 and there's a possibility you were saying that the Socceroos could play at a venue like Optus Stadium where of course people have come to to see top flight football. That's right Um, and look Perth is an important market um, for the Socceroos we've not been able to take a lot of uh, content to Perth uh, in my tenure, which is uh, nearly three years, and a lot of that has to do um, with the, the, the COVID uh, border controls that were in place. But now we have an opportunity. Um, we are looking at bringing the Socceroos and also the Matildas out to Perth in 2023. So watch this space. That'll be huge. Uh, great news, and thanks for sharing that with us, uh, James. James, can I, before we leave the brand of the Socceroos, is there a chance that they could become the number one sporting brand in this country? Is that, is that a possibility in the next 12 months or so? It absolutely is. Uh, We think we can become the top um, national team sporting brand in the country. Um, And let's also not forget the Combank Matildas as well. They're also a top um, five uh, national team brand, the only uh, female national team brand in that top five. Our goal is to have two iconic brands in the market. And if we've got number one and number three in the country, which, which is what our goal is, then I think our code is doing very well. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Peter again uh, mentioned to me that they were positioned at number five and there was a distinct possibility they could leapfrog the Wallabies and possibly go into number four. So saying that, there's been a lot of people that have written pieces, have spoken openly about uh, football in this country and the soccer is like they've never done before. And the big burning question is, how is the FFA going to capitalise on what happened in Qatar? So... I've said from day one of my tenure that we need to play to our strengths. That's my philosophy. And we are a local but global sport, um, which to me means that we've got to take advantage of global content that we can bring back to local communities. Um, So, of course, playing and playing well at the World Cup 
playing and playing well at the Women's World Cup in, in July, uh, hosting the Women's World Cup here, bringing big national teams out to Australia instead of us travelling to Europe, for example, or South America is important. Bringing big club brands, as we saw um, earlier this year with the likes of Manchester United coming out to Australia, um, ensuring that our players are playing in top leagues around the world. This is how we plug our local sport into the global framework, and that's how we uh, we, we will maintain um, this level of interest, in my view. So, James, as the uh, FFA CEO, what are your priorities? Graham Arnold said at the uh, post-press conference after losing to Argentina 2-1, we need a home. And the other thing is, there's over 1.1 million participants that play the sport around the country, the highest of any sport, yet the funding for the sport has left people uh, having to reach into their pop pockets to allow their children to play. Are they two significant issues that uh, the FFA needs to tackle with the government and other sources? Yeah, they are. So let, let's talk about uh, government funding. And we need to be specific here because the level of government funding, both federally and at state level, um, in relation to Legacy 23, which is our legacy plan for the Women's World Cup, is at an all-time high. It's unprecedented. We've had $280 million that will be invested into stadia, community facilities and participation programs. But when it comes to funding from the Australia Sports Commission, which is, of course, uh, an agency of the government, um, we're really not in a good space. The Socceroos don't get a dollar out of the Australian Sports Commission. And uh, the Oli Roos, who compete at the Olympics, um, get a very small uh, amount of money. And the reason that the funding is low through the Australian Sports Commission is because of the funding model. And the funding model has been in place for decades now. In my view, in our view, it's outdated. Um, and that's because the funding model is, is almost solely based on the likelihood um, of a team or a sport getting gold medals at the Olympics. And I think sports come a lot further than that. Um, what we would like to see valued as part of the funding model of the Australian Sports Commission is, is sports and teams and moments that bring the nation together. We'd like to see the community valued, um, large participation base, multiculturalism, gender and sport. All these values um, should determine the amount of funding through the Australian Sports Commission that sports gets. Um, but unfortunately, we're not there yet, but we're, we're calling upon the Sports Commission to uh, to to give the uh, funding model a facelift. And you tick all those boxes. And as we know, uh, some of the players that were certainly the shop window of the Socceroos were not only the likes of the Harry Suiters and certainly uh, the players that scored the goals, but also, as we know, the refugees that came from continents like Africa and, of course, who came out of the back end of sort of the war in Yugoslavia. And, uh, you know, we know about some of the stories and how this side has come together. Saying that, how much praise can you bestow on Graham Arnold, who, before going through the passage of qualification through the UAE and Peru, people were questioning whether he was the right man for the job. Gee's answered it in spades, hasn't he? Uh, Graham has. Graham did an outstanding job. Um, I'm very proud uh, of Graham. Um, he did a fantastic job. He went through a very difficult period. Um, and, and not only was it difficult for him on the pitch, but what he was dealing with off the pitch with COVID, with being in isolation for last, large parts of uh, uh, the year 2021 is, is, is really amazing. So to see him come out 
of this campaign on top and to do so well, uh, it really brings tears to my eyes. I'm so happy for Graham and also for this team. James, was it fair to say you backed him when everybody was saying that we need to get another manager slash coach heading into the World Cup in Qatar? Was there serious consideration on replacing him before that first of those two qualifiers against the UAE? Um, so there was a lot of pressure on Graham in the March window when we lost at home to Japan and then we lost away to Saudi Arabia. Um, look, my philosophy is you, you have to you have to back your coaches in until you, you let them go. And the reason is if you don't back your coaches, um, they don't feel supported, they don't feel safe, and that tends to flow throughout the team. Um, we have always backed Graham, and on the women's side, we continue to back uh, Tony. Um, and while we have national team coaches in place, we will always back our coaches. Otherwise, it's time for them to go. And they've both been through certainly challenging periods and they've come through the other side. So saying that, you've come on the record and since you've returned back to Australia, saying that you'll sit down with uh, Graham Arnold after you conduct a full review of everything, every aspect of the, the World Cup campaign. But the general feeling is that the FFA would like him to stay on for another four years and maybe take uh, the Australian Socceroos to the United States, Canada and, of course, Mexico, who share uh, the rights to the World Cup in four years' time. Yeah, look, we've, we've had a very successful campaign and, uh, importantly, Graham also took the Oliru under-23 team to Tokyo, um, who will form the, the nucleus of, of the team that takes the field in 2026. Um, look, Graham's done a great job. Uh, he is at the end of his contract um, we're finishing up our review of the full campaign over the four years. Um, so there, there absolutely will be a discussion. We'll sit down with Graham and hopefully we can um, find a way forward. Um, if not, then, then we'll go to market. But our uh, first priority is to talk to Graham and talk to him about the future of the Socceroos. Mm. Just leaving the Socceroos for a moment, going back to grassroots football, where it is so strong. A lot of uh, boys and girls are, are playing the sport, yet a lot of parents are finding it very difficult to fund their children to play the world game. Uh, it's been a constant conversation point. The FFA is no doubt conscious in relation to the other football codes how a bit more expensive sometimes playing soccer, as we know it here, can be. Yeah, there are challenges uh, in the code. So, but, but generally speaking, uh, the large majority of community football, the registration fees are actually very reasonable um, as compared to other sports. Our challenge is at the elite parts uh, of the pyramid, namely the National Premier League clubs. That's where you see the very high registration fees, sometimes of, of in excess of $2,000 a year. This is a challenge for the sport, and we've got to be honest about it, and we've got to talk about it. Um, we're a new administration, and it's something that is on our agenda. Um, it's something that we do need to work with our member federations and our National Premier League clubs um, to help reduce um, those exorbitant fees. Um, and in parallel, we also need to set up alternate um, pathways as well so that registration fees don't act as a barrier um, for talent to come through. So it's something we're conscious of and it's something we're looking into and we will be coming out with a plan of attack in 2023. It's going to be a bonanza 12 months for football here in this country and you as the CEO of the Football Federation of Australia must be getting very excited. We've had the Socceroos, the Men's World Cup is continuing. We're heading towards the uh, quarterfinals and very shortly the semi-final and the final and it'll be done and dusted and then we move on with the focus here in this country on the FIFA Women's World Cup uh, next year. How big will this be? 
it's the most exciting time for our sport in, in our history is the golden era uh, for our, our sport. When you've got two bookends, a men's World Cup that, uh, that we participated very well at, and the other bookend being a, a women's World Cup that we're hosting. Uh, and we're going to have a range of fantastic content um, between the Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup. Our A-League is back, and it's back strong. Uh, community football will be very strong again this year. Our Australia Cup will be back, and we'll be making sure we bring some of the big nations out here as well, both on the men's side and the women's side. Um, so it's a great year for football, extremely exciting, and uh, it's, 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 it's our time as a, as, as a football nation. James, can we have a chuckle here? I certainly had a chuckle, and I couldn't believe it. In fact, I took the mickey out of the AFL when they decided to drop in the first round of AFL fixtures for 2023 at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning when the Socceroos had just finished their <laughs> campaign against Argentina. I thought it was absolutely pathetic when I said that. And they are so paranoid about uh, any other football code getting some of their territory. <laughs> absolutely. I think that says more about the AFL than us. But uh, I was flabbergasted to see that. Um, but it is what it is. Um, you know, we, we keep moving forward uh, in this fantastic year we've got ahead of us, and, and that's what we're focused on. James, before I let you go, because you have got a very busy day, and we thank you very much for your time and evening as well. Uh, what about a couple of the people you rub shoulders with while you were over there? After all, you were the CEO of the FFA of Australian football, and it was very much a, a huge talking point over there. You would have met some interesting characters in your journey. Yeah, we, we, we did. And, and, and look, I come from those those circles, having worked at uh, Manchester City and FIFA. Um, so there weren't a lot of new people that, that, that I met, but I was fortunate enough to, to reconnect with, with people I hadn't seen for a few years. It was great to see the president, Gianni Infantino. He attended all football matches um, at the World Cup. He came to all of our matches. So it was great um, to see him. It was great to see some of the UEFA executives, particularly uh, the, the night that we beat uh, Denmark. Um, so there's a lot of key people over there. It's the, the expo um, of, of world football, the World Cup, um, and there's some key people. We've made some great uh, uh, connections and networks that we'll be able to utilise for the benefit of Australian football going forward. And finally, before we let you go, down the track... I know we had a failed attempt to maybe have the World Cup in 2022. Qatar got it. Russia got it uh, four years ago. Is there still a burning ambition? Maybe not in your time. It could be in your time where Australia maybe one day, maybe sharing it with New Zealand, what we're doing with the, the FIFA Women's World Cup, could actually host a Men's World Cup. Absolutely, and that, that is our ambition. That needs to be our ambition. Um, I think in order to get to hosting a Men's World Cup, um, there's a lot of steps along the way. If you look at uh, North America, who will host the World Cup in, in 2026. Um, Canada um, hosted the Women's World Cup in 2015. The United States hosted the Men's World Cup in 1994, and a lot of other major tournaments um, go to Mexico, Canada, and also the United States. So for us... We hosted a very good Asian Cup in 2015. We've now got the Women's World Cup in 2023. We're going for the Women's Asian Cup in 2026, and I think we've got a very good opportunity to to uh, to win those hosting rights. And as we keep getting these runs on the board, the rest of the world gets more confident that um, we're able to host and put on fantastic competitions, as we know we do, and that's what sets us up for success uh, when we when we next bid for the Men's World Cup. 
Congratulations, James, as the head of the Football Federation of Australia. It's exciting times for the round ball game. Uh, I've really enjoyed actually broadcasting uh, the uh, matches from afar, let me tell you, as the uh, radio rights holder with this organisation that I work with. It's been fun, it's been exciting, and now at the business end of the World Cup. Who's your prediction? Who do you think will win it? Oh, I'm going to say uh, France. I think that they're the, the the best team pound for pound. They're definitely uh, they they definitely have the highest squad value in the competition, and I think they're going to be extremely hard to beat. Good on you, James. Thanks for joining us, uh, and we'll keep in touch. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Peter. Cheers. Have a great day. Yeah, good on you, James. James Johnson, the CEO of the Football Federation of Australia, and of course uh, that was our Australian made interview. It's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure. It's Aussie. Uh, Some interesting news there, particularly the fact that the Socceroos will be coming, most likely, almost surely, to play here at Optus Stadium next year against some high-quality opposition. So we're looking forward to that materialising, and no doubt we'll have more information uh, early next year regarding that. And I say it, it could be a pretty significant crowd, actually, here. Uh, to see that happen. Join us on the temperate bedshed uh, text machine, if you like, 0487 736 736. We're here for Kia, the seven-seat Kia Serato, his large SUV, and naming rights sponsors of Sports Day. A break and then back with more in a moment. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Great to have your company here on uh, Sports Day with Peter Vlahos and uh, being active on the temperate bedshed text machine on 0487 736 736. It's been Jeremy. Good on you, Jeremy. Thanks for getting involved. He says, come on, Peter, ask a tough question. Uh, He just pushed you away. That's not you. Get in there, ask a follow-up. That's what we love you for, Jeremy. Jeremy, uh, just let me know what you wanted maybe a a further answer or explanation on. I thought I actually covered it, but there may have been something that you felt I needed to go harder on. Uh, Please, I welcome you to uh, send it through to me, mate, and uh, see uh, how I come back and whether I can answer it in some shape or form. Good on you, Jeremy. Thanks for getting on the temperate bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. But the big news is we'll see the Socceroos here at Optus Stadium uh, next year. That was confirmed by James Johnson, the CEO of the Football Federation of Australia. Well, uh, Adam Simpson, the West Coast Eagles coach, uh, spoke today, his first press conference uh, during the pre-season campaign. The players will break uh, on the 16th of December, then resume in the new year. And there's already a couple of little niggling injuries for the West Coast Eagles in this pre-season build-up. Yeah, we'll be here all day if we work through that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I might just uh, I might just go through how. Give us a summary. We'll, Give us a summary. Well, so what what we're dealing with is, um, you know, we're, we've obviously hit the draft and we we got seven players in. Um, you know, they've been in since Monday. So outside of that, the the rest of the group have been working really hard for to get healthy first, and then then the fitness piece has kicked in. So. Oscar Allen, um, Tommy Cole, Dom Sheed, um, you know, even Liam Duggan, these guys have had a really interrupted um, last 12 months with significant injuries. Campbell Chess is another one. So how we get those guys back to AFL, is, it's not as easy as 
oh, they've had a year off, they should be fine. We've, we've sort of now got to start overlaying football. So they're all really fit. Um, they've gone away along with the rest of the group and got uh, got themselves right from the fitness point of view. And our next step is to overlay uh, the football component, which in this day and age, it's actually harder than you think because they go, they go that hard. They, they, they go turbo when they train and trying to get some of these guys who haven't touched or tackled anyone in 12 months just to get back into the programs. Our, our newest challenge, which, um, you know, you won't see our guys if you ever come watch us train in every drill, um, especially those guys. We need to manage them in the right way. So when we hit February, they're, um, they're up and about. So there you go, Adam Simpson talking about where they're at at the moment regarding the injuries that took its toll on the West Coast Eagles during 2022 and where they're at uh, in this pre-season campaign. Of course, he was featured on Mornings with Mark Duffield that you can hear Monday to Wednesday here on SENWA. He also went on to elaborate a bit more about the draftees. Well, we're not going to put a limit on it. Duff. We're going to prepare them for that, um, which is a slow build because... The, the gap between the draft and pre-season is getting bigger and bigger. So not many players can come in and just hit the ground running and just, just join in with everything. So we're, we're aiming them to be right and available for, for, you know, early next year. But there's, you know, they're 18-year-old kids. Um, and there's some talent there which we're really pleased with. I think um, Ruben's probably the one with the biggest growth physically. He looks like... Um, he's a real responder in the gym and, you know, he's uh, he's going to be a big boy. So he, his best version in terms of his body is a few years away. But, the um, you know, Harry and even um, Hewitt, they, they look a bit more mature physically. So, um, yeah, and they're all pretty fit boys. And from what we go there, they all run their two cars in pretty good time. So, yeah, we'll, we'll manage them slowly, um, understand that they're, they're kids. But uh, at the same time, there's, there's going to be some spots available. Yeah, and I think, uh, as we've discussed during the course of the footy season, uh, when Kim Hagdorn was my regular on Monday and Thursday, for the West Coast Eagles to improve, they need to have some of these draftees ready to hit the town or the ground running come round one next season. They just need it. They need players to be up and going. They need to add a little more speed uh, through the midfield. So, as I said, they need to have a couple of these players that Simo's just spoken about ready to go come round one. So we'll wait and see how it all pans out. Of course, uh, it is certainly a big last few weeks when it comes to racing here in Perth. We've had the Pinnacles and Group 1 races over five consecutive Saturdays. The last one happens this Saturday. It's the brand new race that's labelled labelled the Gold Rush. And we're going to talk to Giulio Santarelli on the other side of the break. Giulio, of course, commentator, journalist uh, and a man that uh, lives and breathes it and he'll tell us all about the big one coming up on Saturday and also look back over the previous four weeks when it's come to the pinnacles and how successful it's been and um, what he's basically got out of it as well. So Julio will join us next here on Sports Day where it's coming up 18 to 6. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Well, it's been a, a fantastic Pinnacle series. Of course, the opening day was the Champion Phillies Day. We had uh, 
the uh, Group 1 races, the Railway Stakes, the Winterbottom and the Northerly Stakes. And, of course, the Gold Rush will be the feature race on the final Saturday of the Pinnacles. It will run over 1,400 metres at Group 3 level for wait for age conditions. And a man that's right across it, in fact, it was involved there at the barrier draw yesterday. Uh, he's been involved in covering as a broadcaster and as a journalist thoroughbred racing in this town for a good couple of decades. Uh, he's right there front and centre. And if we're going to talk racing, I always like to get him on board, Giulio Santarelli. Giulio, thanks for your time. No dramas at all, Peter. Good to catch up with you. Yes, uh, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's arrived and it's just gone so quickly because there's been so much happening. How much have you enjoyed uh, the Pinnacles as we head into the final Saturday? Oh, it's been sensational, Peter. And as if I can relate it in football terms, it's racing's grand final week. The last uh, three or four weeks, it's just been a sensational month of racing. And it all climaxes on Saturday with the Group 3, as you mentioned. It's a new race and added to the West Australian racing calendar worth $1.5 million. It's the richest Group 3 race in Australia. And uh, it'll be well sought after on Saturday, headed by the, the all-powerful and the all-conquering James Cummings and the good often team on the weekend. There was some talk about the favourite, Valana, under a cloud. Have you got any information on that, that horse and whether it will line up in the big one on Saturday? You'd have to say at this stage, Peter, doubtful, but um, it, depending on how serious the hoof absence is, it can, it, once it bursts through, it can recover. They can recover pretty quickly. just depends on, on the severity. But if Alana lines up this four-year-old, um, ever since Alana arrived in Perth, James Cummings hasn't been shy in saying this could be his next very, very good horse. And he's had a win in the Silver Eagle at uh, Randwick in October. Um, he won the Hunter in Newcastle. The only race he lost in this preparation or the only the only um, interruption to those two wins was an eighth in the Golden Eagle at Rose Hill and he had no luck racing wide so he arrived in West Australia with a really big impression and a, a very big reputation was meant to have raced in the winner bottom stakes and would have started one of the short price favorites in that particular race but on the eve of the race on, on race morning he had to be scratched there was a minor leg complaint so he was ruled out of the winner bottom stakes he was headed for this race, the $1.5 million Group 3 uh, gold rush for Saturday. Had a setback again on uh, Tuesday after track work, after a good piece of work. And he tra he also, he, he worked at Ascot on Saturday. He did a track gallop in between races just to make up for that run he did miss in the winner bottom mistakes. And then about an hour after his track work, it showed that uh, there were signs of a poor absence. So he's had setback after setback. He is the favourite for the race. He does start, and he is 100% fit. And I'm sure they won't take any risks with him. He's, he's too valuable. But um, if he's if he's in full, top condition on Saturday, he'll be very hard to beat. But as a punter, there's there is a caveat there because of uh, the setbacks that he has had. Well, Valana's uh, Group One winning stable mate Kementari, of course, drew Barry eleven yesterday. Third line of betting at this stage, and we know one of the stars of the industry, Jamie Carr, has got the ride. Uh, give us your thoughts on the Barry and draw, and in relation to Kementari as well. Yeah, probably it's not okay for Kevin Terry. Pro probably prefers to be out there in the moving line, and so he's not boxed in and in danger of being boxed in from a low draw. So I don't think the the barrier draw is of any concern. But you're right to mention Jamie Carr. What a draw card she will be, Peter. She's and what a week she's had. She's in Hong Kong uh, tonight. She uh, flies back to Perth on Saturday. So she she is definitely a globe trotting jockey. But to have her presence in WA is an enormous draw card, along with Ben Mellon, obviously coming out of that. 
win the bottom stakes win with Pilati. But Kemantari is a horse that two years ago, after a, a runner of outs won this race uh, two years ago when it was the scale stakes over 1,400 metres. Up until that time, there was thought that he may be retired, but uh, he, he's gone on for another two years following that win. And it's undeniable chance. He's a he's a terrific horse. He's a he's a favourite with with punters. Um, he's an undeniable chance with Jamie Carr aboard. But um, if Alana and Kimitari are going, I think you'd have to have the nod to Alana. What about from a local perspective? Uh, who are the fancies? Uh, as we know, Godolphin's going to have a, a significant presence uh, in the race on Saturday. But what about from a local perspective? Well, if you go through the form line through the Winterbottom Stakes, Pete, and kiss on all four checks, this mare from the Dan Morton yard, she arrived, she had a Melbourne preparation. So her preparation, she kicked off her preparation in Melbourne in August and ran third in a Cochrane over a group three, um, won a group two, the Leicester, Leicester Lope, and then uh, for various reasons didn't run into the placings at the next three starts. And the last race was at Flemington um, in October. So she had a campaign in Melbourne, a successful campaign there, winning uh, one race at group two level and placed at group three in the other. And she returned to Perth and uh, without a trial, first up in the winner bottom mistakes, drawing wide, she went back and she's one of the on that particular day with uh, Paul Laley, was one of the runners making a heap of ground from the back of the field. She only missed out by a head to Paul Laley. I think she'll strip a lot fitter, second up this preparation. Her record second up is, is terrific as well. She's had five goes, four wins in a second. She's cherry right, 1,400 metres. Five of her 10 wins have been at 1,400 metres. If you're looking for a local group, set the Eastern States Raiders, in particular the Godolphin runners, kiss an awful cheek. She's a very, very classy mare. And I know Dan Morton's very, very excited about what she can produce on the weekend. One of two runners for, for Dan Morton, not forgetting two Elite Street, who's the jury is a little bit out on the Elite Street, and he's two runs back this preparation, ran fourth from the Colonel Reeves first up, had a tough run in the winner bottom stakes, finished second, uh, finished sixth, the two and a half length from Paul Laley. Um, is he going as well as he was last year? Is he going as well as he was two years ago? The jury's out. I think. From the pick of Dan Morton's team, I think maybe this kissing all four checks shades Elite Street in uh, in the Gold Rush on the weekend, Pete. Julia Santorelli joining us here on uh, Sports Day. Julia, just a couple of final questions about the the Pinnacles as a whole. What has been the highlight for you so far as we head into uh, the final race, the Gold Rush on Saturday? Is there something that's really caught your imagination over the previous four weeks? Without without a doubt, Pete, the railway stakes and the winner tricks of the trade, trained by Colin Webster. And I, I think I spoke to you before the race, and I said there are so many storylines that come out of the railway, and one of those was Colin Webster. He's 82 years of age, and battling not he's not in the best of health, uh, Colin, at the moment, but he's got this gun four-year-old who's just an absolute rising star. And uh, to take out the railway stakes at 82 years of age in the twilight of his training career was enormous. And just the reaction post-race, Pete, every single person, without a doubt, in the mounting yard, made a beeline for Colin and just wanted to give him a pat and wish him congratulations. It was very emotional. There were, there were tears of plenty as well. So, And also considering that the owner is 92 years of age mm. and knocked back a million dollars to the horse, um, saying that to his stage of life, he and his wife's, uh, stage of life, they were more interested in, in seeing a horse, good horse, go around and win a great race. And his run in last week's Kings in Morberley was unbelievable. This is a very, very good horse in the making and exciting to see where Colin goes next in the autumn with Tricks of the Trade. Definitely Tricks of the Trade, number one seed out of the Pinnacles, Peter, but a very close last second would have been Amelia's Jewel, yes, last week um, taking out the Norvely for Simon Miller. He's first group one, and for Peter Walsh, who put so much into racing and got a cherished group one to his name.
Good stuff. Uh, Julia, thanks for joining us. It's been fabulous. A uh, significant investment in racing with uh, the five weeks. Uh, huge prize money. And I gather all the stakeholders have backed it. Good on you, Pete. And, and thanks for your interest as well. And um, looking forward to the gold rush in the weekend. Yeah, and keep doing the good work there on Tab Radio as well. Good on you, Julia. Julia Santorelli joining us, talking racing. That's the program for today. Thanks for joining us. That's the last program for 2022. Uh, by the way, uh, Jeremy says, thanks, Peter. My question was around no second question regarding the cost of junior soccer. Where is the FFA support? We need our kids playing. We know you are passionate about this. Cheers, Jeremy. Love the show. Good on you, mate. Yeah, well, we'll try and get him on again and see if they, in the meantime, can do something about the cost of local football. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Lee. We'll see you in the new year. Have a great time. And, Jimmy, enjoy the NBA in America.